Welcome to the Story Paths podcast, where we explore links between story and culture. I'm Theodore Lowry, your host. I'm excited to announce that, as of March 2023, I've released my first on-demand creativity course. It's on Skillshare, nestled within a library of great creative courses, and if you're not already on there, I've got a link in the show notes where you can get a free month. My course is called Creative Writing, Brainstorming Story Ideas. In it, I guide you through finding ideas within your memories, working with them as symbols, and learning to deftly combine and recombine them into meaningful stories. There's a trailer for the course there in the show notes, along with the free link. Hope to see you in there. And so, we begin. I'm here with Stephanie McKay, who's the co-founder of the Fianna Wilderness School here on Gabriola Island and also in Comox Valley. And Stephanie, she holds myth clubs in her home here on Gabriola. These are events where people gather together, read an old myth, and then gradually plumb the meanings hidden within it. This could be called a kind of story archaeology. There's often layers of the story that were added later on, going back past the beginning of empire into older times. And one of the themes in this podcast is play. And for those of us who are trying to get in touch with our roots, who are trying to get in touch with old cultures before all the colonialism and modernization and all of that, things can seem distant. You know, like we don't know what the Celtic creation story is. There's many pieces missing. And it's hard to know how to bring those old ways into our times. And it can seem very grave. You know, we don't know how to sing with each other anymore. We don't know how to dance with each other anymore. There can be a a tendency to go towards what's safe in this culture and get all academic about it. Here's what this people thought and getting academic about it. But what I found in these myth gatherings is that there's a playful aspect to it. There's a respect for the tradition and the roots of the story, but there's also a fun discovery of what may be within this story, what may dwell within the depths of the earth, of the story, so to speak, that we can discover. So today, thank you for joining us, Stephanie. So today we're going to go through a story called Lipo and Tapio. And why don't I let you introduce this story, Stephanie, please? Sure. This story came to me from a a collection of Scandinavian folktales. And it is a Finnish tale and comes from the land that we call Lapland. And you'll see in the story that land is called Poyola traditionally and to the peoples of the story and it's just a is a wonderful tale of of journey and winter time and being in deep relationship with the holy in nature 
Beautiful. And for those of you listening, I'll include a PDF of this story if you'd like to follow along. So why don't we go ahead and read this story together as you do in the myth group. Bring our listeners in. And I'll just say, when I first read this story, it was very interesting, but I had no idea of the depth that's in there. But maybe you will, the oh dear listener. So yeah, let's go through. Would you like to start, Stephanie? Sure. Lipo and Tapio. There was once a famous hunter named Lipo. All winter long, he used to travel in search of game, and he was much at home on his skis as a bird is in the air. One day, Lipo and two of his friends set out to the Northland to hunt moose. All day long, they followed tracks in the snow, but without meeting any game. At dusk, they came to a small hut where they slept the night. Next morning, they started out bright and early again on their skis. Lipo was setting the pace, kicked one ski against the other and said in fun, Today we must get a moose for each ski, and one for the ski staff. New snow had fallen during the night, and presently, sure enough, they saw before them the fresh tracks of three large moose. They hastened their pace and soon caught up with two of the moose, who were fighting so hard that they paid no attention to the hunters. But the third moose saw them coming and galloped off through the forest. Here's a piece of luck, whispered Lipo to his friends. You shoot these two, and I will track down the third. His friends killed the two moose and dragged them homeward, while Lipo swept forward on his skis, lighthearted and alone. He flew swiftly over the snow, but however swiftly he traveled, the tracks still stretched out ahead of him, farther than his eyes could reach. At last, as night was falling, they led him through a fence and into a garden. There in the doorway of his house stood Tapio, god of the forests. His long beard was the color of moss, and he wore a cap of leaves on his head. The moose, grunting with fright, stood behind him. When Tapio saw Lipo, he shouted angrily, How dare you hunt my moose and give him, drive him into a foaming sweat? How could I tell he was your moose, said Lipo. He had strayed far into the forest. When Tapio saw that Lipo was a plain, honest man, his anger left him, and he said, Ah, it is late, and you are far from home. Come into my tupa and stay the night. Lipo shook the snow from his skis and set them up against the wall. When he followed the old man into the house, he was surprised to see the room crowded with wild animals. Elk, bear, moose, wolf and fox, rabbit and weasel, There they all sat around the fire, talking each in his own tongue. Tapio called in a loud voice like the sound of wind in the fir trees. Daughter, we have a guest. Sitting now beside the fire, holding a fox in her arms, and asked her, 
were you, and what is the name of this far north country? She answered, I am Talervo, daughter of Tapio, god of the forests. My father takes care of every living creature in the woods, and this country is Poyola, far to the north of your native Finland. As darkness drew on and the first star came in the skies, the wild creatures began to file out into the forests, each to his own home. When the last had disappeared through the doorway, Tapio gave Lipo a bed of fir boughs beside the fire. In the morning, Lipo was up early, all ready to start out again in search of game, but nowhere could he find his skis. They were gone as if by magic. When he asked Tapio what had happened to them, the old man said, You will find them when you wish to go back to your own people. I have but one daughter, Talervo. How would you like to stay here as my son-in-law? I would gladly stay, said Lipo, but I am only a poor man. Ho, ho, don't let that worry you, Tapio said. Lack of money is no crime. Here we need no gold. So Lipo, the forest wanderer, married Talervo, and together they lived in the hut in the woods with the old man, her father. Soon Lipo learned to speak the language of every creature living in the forest. After three years, a son was born to Lipo and Talervo. Lipo was so proud that he wanted at once to go back to his family for a visit and tell them all the good news. He begged Tapio to go with him, but Tapio said, First you must make a pair of skis. If the skis are to my liking, then I will come with you. Lipo went into the forest and began to hew out wood for the skis. A little titmouse sat on a branch over his head, singing, Tee-tee-tee-tee-annen, vatikuti-varpunen, tee-tee-titmouse, spicker-spacker-sparrow, set the branch upon the shoulder, form a head upon the footrest. The titmouse made Lipo so fidgety with its chirping that he did not even listen to what it said. He flung a stick at the bird and shouted, Stop your noise, you chatterbox! Then he forgot all about the bird, he was so intent on fashioning his skis. He made them as beautifully as he knew how. And when at last they were finished, he brought them to his father-in-law. Tapio fastened the skis to his feet and took a turn around the garden on them, saying, Ach, these skis are not for me. They don't fit. You will have to make me a better pair. Again, Lipo went into the forest, and again the titmouse flew to a branch above his head and sang, Ti 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 tianin, vatikuti varpunin, D.T. Titmouse, Spicker Spacker Sparrow, set the branch upon a shoulder, form a head upon the footrest. Again, Lipo was very annoyed by his chattering. Why must you be always such a chipper and chatterer, you scamp? He shouted, and this time he threw a chip of wood to frighten the bird away. When the second pair of skis were finished, Tapio tried them out and said, These skis are not for me either. You'll have to keep on trying till you can do better. Lipo went a third time into the forest, determined to please his father-in-law. And a third time, the titmouse sang, Ti-ti-tianin, vatikuti-partunin. This time, Lipo stood listening. What are you trying to tell me, you little fidget? I'll try your advice. 
You can't be singing the same thing over and over for no reason at all. He worked fast and did as the bird said. In the center of the ski, he fashioned a shoulder for Tapio to stand on. He bent the front end of the ski slightly upward into a head so that it would glide more easily over the snow. When Tapio tried this new pair of skis, he was delighted. Kah! These are the skis for me! They fit me perfectly! You must have learned to listen to the words of your little forest friends, my Lipo, or you would never have known how to please me. Now you may go home. So they started, Tapio first, Lipo with his child strapped on his back, and Talervo, his wife, close behind him. When they had gone far into the deep wild forest, Tapio stopped and said, From now on I shall travel ahead of you. Follow my tracks in the snow. Each time you see the hole of my pointed ski staff, there make your camp for the night. Weave the roof of your lodge carefully of fir boughs, and be sure that no light from the stars can shine through and harm you. And he set off ahead like a flash of light on his skis and was gone. All night long, Lipo followed the ski tracks with Talervo and his child. Night was falling when they saw the first hole made by Tapio's staff. Here they found a moose, broiled and steaming for their supper. Lipo built a lodge as Tapio had told him. He wove the fir branches carefully so that no starlight could shine through. He took the birch bark pack from his shoulders and set his child in the lodge before the fire. Here they all three slept the night. In the morning they ate again, took enough moose meat for a meal during the day, and set out to follow Tapio's ski tracks. Again at nightfall they saw the second hole made by Tapio's staff. Beside it was a deer, roasted and steaming. They ate, built a lodge of fir boughs as before, and slept the night. The third day they pushed forward on their skis, and at nightfall found only a wood grouse, fried and steaming. They were so hungry that no morsel remained for the next day's meal. Lipo was greatly disheartened. He said, Telervo, we cannot travel without food. My bow and arrows I left in the hut. Tapio and his magic have failed us, and my home is still far away. That night he took no heed how he built their lodge. He wove the fir boughs carelessly, and through the bare chinks the starlight shone through on them. In the morning, when Lipo rose to stir the campfire, he found that his wife, Talervo, was gone. Far and near, Lipo searched, but he could not find her. He asked the birds in the trees where she had gone, but when they answered him, he found he could no longer understand their language. He went into the hut and took his child upon his knee. Sad and hopeless, he sat there before the fire. He saw moose and deer outside in the forest, but he had no weapons to hunt them. The next morning, and the next, and the next, every morning when he awoke, Lipo found a wood grouse cooked and steaming before the door. 
Many years passed, and still Lipo lived in his lodge of fir boughs before the open fire in the forest. He dreamed of home, but he no longer had courage to set out on the search for it. Lipo's son grew into a tall boy, and from boyhood he grew to manhood. He asked Lipo to teach him about the stars so that he could travel alone and learn more about the world. One day when he came back from exploring the forest, he said, Father, we are not far from your home. To the south lie your home fields. Then he took his father, who was now an old man, and together they set out on the journey. After a day's travel, they found themselves at Lipo's old home. Tears came to Lipo's eyes at the sight of his old country after all these years. But the boy was not content to stay there. He left his father behind and traveled north once more to make a home for himself. And to this very day, the Laplanders proudly trace their descent from this wise and restless son of Lipo, the mighty hunter. So this is the story that we're sitting with today, that we're exploring today. And dear listener, I invite you to take a moment to just sit with this and consider which parts are staying with you, if there's some part of the story that's standing out to you. You could even write some things down. Let, let it soak in. Often when I, I pick a story, folks will read it and come to our gathering with some discomfort or some confusion about why I picked this particular story. It's very common for for people to, to not really connect with the story initially. And and I love that. That's that's when I get really excited. And after we've read the story, I open it up to people and I say, hey, you know, what are you curious about? With this story in particular, it was, why did Lipo stop when he lost to Lervo? Why, why did he just stop? And, you know, people are like, oh, I was really frustrated with him. I was really angry with him. Why, why didn't he just keep going? I love those moments because that's when we really get to, to dive into the deeper layers of the story. And when we come at it from our perspective or conditioning, I would say, from colonization, imperialism of this, of the dominant culture currently, we don't see the beauty that's that's there. And through the unpacking of the story, the beauty is revealed. So for those of you listening, if you have had one of those moments of, oh, that didn't really sit right with me, that's great. We we celebrate those moments and that's what we like to, to get into. And I think that's also where where the fun and the play comes from, because we're not looking at that as like, I don't get offended. It's not like, oh, shoot, you, I'm sorry, you know, you didn't like that part of the story or whatever. That's where there's the excitement, the excitement comes up and it's like, great, let's, let's go there and, and let's play with it a little bit and let's bounce back, bounce back and forth some ideas or thoughts about what that might be. And as we go through that process of bouncing back and forth with each other and having discussion about it, then it's like this spiral of beauty starts to to come up and reveal itself. And yeah. I like that so much because 
you know, approaching old stories, we can have that apprehension of what if I don't get it right? What if I'm offensive, charging in with my assumptions and I make a mistake and it's very bad and, you know, the gods and the ancestors are displeased and <laughs> whatever it may be, uh, because there's, there's, a, there's one right way to do it. And of course, on the far other end, it could be a very whimsical approach, but to approach with respect, but playfulness, it just seems like the best way to make relationship with a story is to be able to play. It's like with another person. I mean, there's respect, but if you can't play at all together, you can never joke together or anything, there's a certain block there, right? Like, how are you really going to get to know each other? <laughs> so, yeah, I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I'm curious, Theo, what are some points in this story that have popped out at you or left a lasting impression for you? Well, there's a number of things. I'll come from near the beginning. So the Lipo and his friends, they're hunting moose in a brave and adventurous state of mind. And then Lipo ends up chasing a particular moose far past where his friends remained and he ends up meeting Tapio, the god of the forest, who says basically don't hunt that moose, that's my moose. So that's something I was curious about is what's the difference between one moose and another? Mm. We see in the home of Tapio that his daughter brings milk and honey and bread and that all the creatures of the forest, whether predators or prey, they're all peacefully around the fire during the day, and then at night they go back to the forest. So I'm curious about that. Are some animals given to the hunter, and that that's that's a gift for their sustenance, whereas others are sacred? Or how does that sense of the sacred and protected, and the food, the meat given as food, how do those relate with each other? So I'm quite curious about. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Just before I, I answer that, I would just want to give voice to where I have received my teachings and my understanding of these stories really comes from my years of studying with Martine Prechtel. So I studied with Martine for 12 years and, and we spent a lot of time very much doing what we're doing here, but on a bit of a, a grander scale but really going into the deeper teachings of the stories. And so that's where, where my understanding comes from. So just to voice that first. Yeah, so I think there's, you know, there's the two moose that are fighting. And then there's the third moose that, that takes off. And there's certainly an understanding indigenously that when we are in a hunt that it really truly is a sacred relationship between hunter and animal and that the hunter is entering into essentially a form of marriage with the animal that they're hunting there is a a way in which we could say that when an animal is seen on the hunt and is and killed that that animal gave themselves to the hunter there's certainly a lot 
of hunting practices that are not engaged in that. But I think deep within the ancestry of all people who have come from the land and from hunting peoples, there it's originally a very sacred relationship that is entered into with reciprocity. And there's a whole bunch of preparation that happens before the hunt, which we don't get in the story at all. It just starts with them, well, they're just going out to hunt. But before that, there would be a whole process of ceremony and offerings that would manifest as dance, songs, physical offerings, beauty that was made and offered to the animals. So there's a gifting first before you set out on the hunt. And then as you're out on the hunt, then there is the gifting back, which is the body of the animal. Then, of course, there's the third moose. It's And it's super interesting that it's the third moose. There's the two and the three. There's the third moose who runs off too fast. So there's not even actually the opportunity. There's no, there's no gifting. There's no presenting of the body. It's you catch a glimpse of me and I'm gone. So that's, to me, the first indication that, oh, there's something different about this moose. This moose is not always in this physical world. And I would, I guess I would want to say that all of the moose are sacred. And this one is, this third one is able to maybe shapeshift or move between the worlds. But it's that first glimpse and Lipo's, you know, captured, he's captured actually by that glimpse. And then sets off and follows the moose. And it's very, also very telling that he never sees the moose again from that initial glimpse. He never sees that moose again until he's actually in Tapio's house. Mm -hmm. Once he's in the sacred land of Tapio, then he sees the moose again. But it's only the tracks that he follows to that house. So it's the evidence of the holy that he follows. Like the moose doesn't come up to him and say, hey, I'll come with me. I'm going to show you something really cool. And they walk side by side. They don't walk side by side. He catches the glimpse and then he follows the evidence of that beauty, of that holy being into the holy land. Mm. Mm. And I think we're we're very stuck on the physical appearance of a being in this in this culture we want what is tangible we want to say oh i've got this moose right here or i'm you know i've seen the moose but what about just the the magnificence and beauty of i saw the tracks of the moose i followed the tracks of the moose into the other world not the moose itself yeah it reminds me of uh hearing trackers mm-hmm. speak about this intimacy with the animal mm-hmm. and sometimes tracking not to hunt as well but just to inhabit the pathways of that animal the sleeping spaces of that animal and at the end of the tracking to behold the animal mm-hmm. and if it is hunting then yeah it's not apparent at first blush that hunting taking the life of another being can be an act of union. Mm. I mean, that's 
that's quite a conception. Mm-hmm. And it is, like you say, a very old conception, really one of the oldest, as I understand as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then Lipo, he arrives there, and I'm curious about that also. It seems that the animals all coexist peacefully in that place, in that spirit place. Mm-hmm. And they're eating honey, milk, and bread, mm-hmm. which are all foods that don't necessitate killing. The animal can give milk and continue to live. The bees can continue to give honey, you know, the bread. Plants continue on. So I'm curious about that, because it's it's a conception we hear sometimes, you know, the lion will lay down with sheep, mm. that sometimes you hear about subtler dimensions where there's not the necessity to take the lives of others in order to sustain oneself, whereas whether you're vegetarian or whatever it is you're doing here, there is some necessity for living at the expense of other beings on this plane of existence. So I'm curious, from your learnings and from your thoughts about the story, how would you consider that, that home where there is no necessity of hunting or of predation? First of all, I just would want to point out that with the grain, if we're holding plants in the same as immense beings then w- there is there is the killing of the plants right so yeah, with grain yeah with grain there's unless it's bread made from nuts or something uh, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we actually have no idea there's all different kinds of ways of making bread so but if it is from a grain it uh-huh. would be that grain you know, would have, have to kill the plant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I, I, I think that just brings up the question for me of, of what is this house? Because there's, there's something clearly there's Here's all of these beings that are gathering around a, a central fire. And then they come out when the stars first appear. So are there sacred places where there's no, no predation? Perhaps. Maybe. I think there's maybe something a little bit different going on here, which just for me raises the question of what is this house? Why the stars? And what are the animals doing? you have any thoughts on that? One thought that comes to my mind is it's a place of sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Lipo and his friends, there's the three moose, and the two moose were given. That too belongs. Mm-hmm. And the one moose brought Lipo to this sacred home. That too belongs. Mm-hmm. I compared it earlier to maybe a Judeo-Christian idea of Eden or heaven where there's no predation, but in that idea, that place is the place to arrive at instead of here. Mm -hmm. Whereas in this, it seems that 
the honorable hunting and the sanctuary where animals don't prey on each other or humans and don't prey on animals. Both of them are overseen by the god of the forest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It seems they both belong. Mm-hmm. So that comes to mind. And then what is that home? At that point, it seems very mythic. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it feels something like an out-of-body experience or a vision mm-hmm. that Lipo's having, that this is a place where all the animals gather. It feels like maybe it's the spirits of the animals, the spirits of those species. Mm-hmm that they gather together and why do they go when the first star comes out? You know, there's some connection with night, with the beingness of those stars. Mm -hmm. It speaks of something very mythic, like a mythic place, seen from Lipo's cultural perspective, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, one just that both are necessary. So there's predation is necessary and this place of where, you know, they are together in a home sitting around the central fire where there's no predation is important as well. You know, life comes from predation. The, when we have the tension between the two, there's life is, is, is given life is, is birthed. The deer is, or we could say the the moose is the moose because the wolf exists. And likewise. In the sense that the wolf enhances the fitness of the deer? Well, yes, um, for sure. So there's there's the, the biological, there's the scientific understanding of that actually wolves do, you know, participate in, in the health of um, ungulates of the deer, the moose, the elk, but there's also there's there's spiritually that there's there's a relationship between there's a certain amount of of tension and stress that they provide for each other that spiritually keeps them vital. Mm. So if they don't have that, there's there's like a, a spiritual anemia we could say Hmm. so in that case when the moose and the wolf are together by the fire Mm -hmm. that's their kinship Mm -hmm. and that that kinship also exists when they're in a competitive relationship Mm -hmm. it also exists yeah it's kind of a deeper sense of their relationship yeah Mm. Yeah. like that Mm mm-hmm we could just touch on the the star so as darkness drew on and the first star came into the skies the wild creatures began to file out into the forest each to his own home so there's this gathering place during the daytime then the stars come out and the animals go back to their own home and when they're in their own home, I imagine that that would be when it's like they're stepping back into that place of, of tension in, you know, but that it's related to the turning of the sky, related to the stars. And we could even bring in the possibility that the reason why these animals are not, let's say, coming into contact with each other 
is because they are the stars, because they are the constellations. And so when you have the constellations up above you, it's like they're constantly chasing each other through the sky. They're constantly in their story up in the sky. Where, so then in the daytime, it's like they're in, they're gathering together in Tapio's house, and the stars come out and they all go out to their place in the sky. I see. So each, just like the stars, like this star situated in that part of the sky, that yeah. part, that star situated in that part, so too. The bears are with the bears. Yeah. The moose are with the moose. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they go back to their own story in the sky. I don't know the stories of the constellations from this land. But but there's but there's each constellation has its story within a culture's mythology. Yeah, that's that's really rich. So then Tapio is hospitable to Lipo. Mm -hmm. It's also just notable earlier on that when Lipo first came, Tapio was angry with him, but then he noticed his simple heartedness and his willingness to give up bringing the land he was in into this place. He was, oh, I made a mistake. And then he entered on Tapio's terms. Mm -hmm. I also just love that, you know, there's, there's, these deep layers that we love to to go into and you know it's like oh wow oh that's just so amazing and then there's also just these like really basic human layers where you know i i just like to think about a young man coming to the house of his the one that he's longing for and the dad's there at the at the doorway and is like who do you think you are? You've come here, you know, and it's just this moment of trial. It's this moment of like, tell me who you are or, you know, show me who you are. And of course, Lipo's made it to their door. So Tapio already knows that there's something different and something special about this guy because he's made it to their door. Few beings are going to actually make it to Tapio's door. So he already knows, but there's just this little nudge of like, Show me your true being. Mm -hmm. And he does. And he does with humility. Yeah. 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 So then in the morning, Tapio suggests that Lipo become his son-in-law, that he marry his daughter. And so from a sort of modern perspective, it seems, oh, the father's given the Mm -hmm. girl away. What say did the girl have in this? So we could say this is like the patriarchal layer, Mm -hmm. maybe? I think yes and no. I think in first reading it, yes, it's very easy to to say, oh, well, this this is the patriarchy. This is awful. How could... Tapio just give away his daughter. Um, but I also think that we, we have to remember that there's a lot of this story that probably is not here, that there's a lot of this story that has been been lost or just distorted in the years of colonization or the years of oppression for this story to survive. So in order for this story to survive, it needed to shapeshift itself to be here today. So I think, yes, we, 
it's possible that either some layers or some parts of this are not here to make this look like this is very patriarchal. But I also think just from the bit that's here, we could look at it a little bit more and see that maybe it's not actually quite as patriarchal as we think on first reading. Uh huh. Yeah. Notice, notice the trigger. Yeah. Consider that there might be something, might be something more there. Totally. Beneath that. Yeah. And I think it's important what you're saying that the stories do change over time to survive just like people do that. If you had a story that was just overtly countering the colonizer narrative at the time, you know, the story wouldn't survive like that. Yeah. So it kind of goes underground, it changes. I mean, I heard that about fairy tales that one of the reasons they've survived with so much wisdom is that the powers that think they are didn't think much about them. So it's just things women tell to their kids to make them go to sleep at night. What's the harm? But actually that there's all this wisdom that comes through, but it has to be kind of covert. It can't clash with, you know, the church narrative or the empire narrative. So yeah, I'm curious what your thoughts are about what deeper meaning might be there. I mean, one thought that comes to me is that Tapio might've spoken with his daughter. They might've had an extensive conversation and Tapio, because he cares for his daughter is making sure that it's the right man, Mm -hmm. making sure that it's all okay. You know, more, more may have transpired between the hearts of Lipo and Talervo Mm -hmm. than we know from the narrative here. That's still a kind of human reading. Mm -hmm. I mean, Talervo is the daughter of the god of the forest so there's definitely mythic elements there as well but just sticking with that we don't want to don't want to judge judge tapio too quickly (laughs) exactly exactly yeah and in some in in other stories in the the finnish epic the kalevala like talervo is the goddess of the forest so there's in this story you know she's really is referred to as the daughter of the god of the forest in other stories she's explicitly referred to as the goddess of the forest. So she's a pretty big holy being herself. And I I think for sure there's the possibility that she had a lot of say in in this and whether or not she wanted to to marry Lipo. If we go back to the moose that, that Lipo followed, in countless mythologies, there's a very common thread that a hunter will follow an animal, some animal that they've caught the glimpse of will follow that animal through the forest and that that animal will then shapeshift into a human and they fall in love or something significant happens. When Lipo follows the moose, in the story, the moose is translated to being, I believe that the moose is a he but I would I would maybe put a bit of a stretch on it and say that that's a translation thing and that the moose was actually Talervo. And it's actually Talervo that he followed through the forest to Tapio's house, to her house. And so that to me is, that's a courtship. That's Talervo courting Lipo. It's basically 
can you follow me to my home? And she leads him to her home. She could have gone anywhere. She could have done any kind of, you know, holy stuff to, to set him off the track. But she didn't, if we assume that the moose was Talervo. So to me, that's just a beautiful, like, can you make it testing who Lipo is? Do you have a heart that will bring you to my home? Mm. And he makes it. He's there. Can you make good relation with my father? Can you make good relation with my father? Uh-huh. Can you sit with all of these beings? Mm-hmm. Can you sit around the fire with all of these beings? Mm-hmm. Can you ask the question of who I am? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the whole lead up to that part is a courtship between Talervo and Lipo. Lipo. I don't think it's an out of the blue question of, oh, hey, don't go home. Just marry my daughter. There's a whole ceremony beforehand to to see. Yeah. That's why it's so important to slow down on this, isn't it? Yeah. Because so much is contained in so few words. Exactly. Compared to a novel or something where things might be played out over many chapters that it's, you know, don't miss it because it was just a sentence. But there's there's a lot in there. My journey has been learning how to read these stories, mm-hmm. not how to read, but like how to really slow down and read mm-hmm. and listen to what the story is saying and look for those tiny little clues. And then also to understand the lore of all different lands, which is where I think for me, the clue that that third moose, third moose is, is Talervo comes from these other stories from all different traditions where it's very common that if a hunter is following an animal into the forest, it's it's a love affair. So having that broader scope, but really slowing down, like we haven't even made it off the first page yet. <laughs> and And we're going fast. Lipo and Talervo, they do marry, and Lipo remains there and learns the language of every creature living in the forest. So he's, he's doing well. And after three years, a son is born to Lipo and Talervo. And then Lipo wants to return to his family and tell them the good news. He hasn't been in his village for about three years. And so he wants to go back and and show them his son. And Tapio said, you got to make a pair of skis that I approve of. And so then Lipo, he tries to do that. And a titmouse. Beautiful little bird. 
I highly recommend you check out a tip mouse. They're they're stunning little beings. So a tip mouse is singing to Lipo some advice, but even though Lipo has learned the language of the creatures of the forest, he's still really intent on making these skis. Just leave me alone, trying to make these skis. But then the titmouse persists, and Lipo does listen. After a few attempts going back to Tapio and having him not approve of the skis, so finally he listens to the titmouse. So that's a curious thing that he's already learned the language of the forest beings, but in this case, he's initially not listening. I think this is Lipo learning to have the ears to hear the language that he's learned, mm. and you know he's he's given this trial this test and he's he's just going through it it's like he's so focused on i've got to you know be successful in this test that the ears of his heart are not open and it takes the repeated like hey listen hey listen hey listen oh maybe i should listen i certainly have experienced several times in my life it's like i've very clear you know communications whether from the land or whatever in my life of you should really listen you should really listen and it takes a little bit for for me to be like okay you know i'm i'm listening now yeah leap was very intent yeah he's 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 got his mission mm -hmm. you know and to be in that state of mind and also be listening mm -hmm. you know it's it's a, it's a bit of a balance to have those both going at the same time mm -hmm to lay down in a field and just let my hearing expand to hear the mm -hmm. birds in the trees. That's one thing. But mm -hmm. when I've got a mission to do that mm -hmm. at the same time, mm -hmm. it's, you know, could see it takes some practice. And that's interesting that he learned the language, but it's not like out of the superpowers and now he's just good to go. There's a certain putting it into practice and not always getting it right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think, you know, for us with our, you know, in this dominant culture, which is very like, go, 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 put your blinders on. And, you know, but it's, it's creating a state of being that can be more flexible, can, can really be in a place of, of focus and awareness. When I'm out on the land with people, with kids, with adults, a huge part of what we do is expanding awareness but you have to maintain a certain level of focus. You're, you're in the wilderness. There's a certain attention that, that has to happen, but also pick up on, on what's being revealed to you because the land is always talking to you. If we're on a path and we have to get there from A to B, it's like, we're going, but can you be in that place of, okay, I have actually have something I got to do. And I'm still attentive and aware of what's around me. Mm. Lipo's going through his, this is, this is an initiatory journey for him. You know, we're not initiated by humans. We're initiated by the land. 
we're initiated by the wild, we're initiated by the holy in nature. He goes to Tapio's house and he learns the language of the natural world. That's initiation. But it's not enough. Like there's there's more. So it's you learn, but listen. Yeah. Because the stakes get higher, the more you learn, you're held to a higher standard. Mm -hmm. So as you learn, not enough to just be like, yeah, oh yeah, I've got that knowledge. I'm I'm good. Mm -hmm. Learn to listen. Mm. Yeah. 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 It speaks of ongoing learning, ongoing being challenged. That initiation is an ongoing thing. There's of course certain events that are really key, but it's not that those are the last the last in the line kind of thing. So then Lipo, he listens to the advice of the titmouse and he adjusts his skis in a particular way by using a branch, the shoulder of the ski, which we're figuring might be the place where the foot goes, the shoulder of the ski. There's some kind of extra curve there perhaps. But he makes the skis in a way that... Tapio finds to be pleasing. Mm -hmm. He's delighted. Ah, these are the skis. And these are skis. They're skis for Tapio. Mm -hmm. Oh, the Lipo skis also went missing. Did he make did he make his his own skis as well again? No, I think we just assumed that Tapio gave him his skis back once he uh -huh. had completed the test. These are skis for Tapio. Yeah. I'm very pleased with them. Lipo also has skis now, so then it's time to set out on a journey. Yeah. So Tapio says, I'm going to go ahead. And you, Lipo and Talervo, you can follow, follow my tracks. He gives them this instruction, especially to Lipo, he gives the instruction every night, make a shelter where no starlight gets in. Mm -hmm. And you do that every night and then we'll go towards your village. And so first night, he does a shelter like that, and there's food waiting for them. Seems like Tapio has blessed them by giving them some moose. Next night was a deer. He also built his shelter well. The next night, there was just a wood grouse, so not as much food. Not enough to fill them up. And Lipo became discouraged by this. And he didn't make the hut very well. And starlight came through. So this is an interesting point as well, because this is a really key point in the story, mm -hmm. that he didn't completely follow the instructions of Tapio, the god of the forest. He let starlight go in. And then when he woke up in the morning, his wife was gone. Mm -hmm. And he looked for her and looked for her. Ask the birds in the trees, but he couldn't understand their language anymore. Mm -hmm. Their child was still there, their son. And so he remained there with the son. And every day he didn't hunt again. He could have fashioned bow and arrow, but he didn't. Every day there was a wood grouse, which was enough for him to sustain himself. Mm -hmm. And he remained there for many years until he became old. So this is an interesting part of the story. Is things are going really quite well for Lipo. <clears throat> you know, he 
messes up a little here and there, but basically he's doing things in an excellent way. But at this point, he becomes discouraged when there's not enough to eat. He's, I'm still so far from my village. How can I possibly make the trip? His wife leaves him, you know, because he didn't follow the instructions properly. So I'm wondering your, hmm. your thoughts on this mm-hmm. key point of the story. Well, I guess this, my question is, did he lose his wife? First of all, did he lose his wife? Second question is, did he lose his wife because he didn't do things properly? So I'm just going to let those questions hang for a second. And then I want to jump back to following the tracks of Tapio, because I just think that this is a really important point that he followed tracks in and then followed tracks out. So it's very clear that Lipo is going into the other world by following the tracks of Talervo. He's in that world and he's able to see the holy beings. He's able to see the god of the forest. He's able to see the goddesses. So he's in the other world Mm. at this time. So that's his threshold. He's crossing over the threshold into the other world. Then he can see Tapio to a certain point. So they start off their journey together and Tapio is there and they're, they're together. Then Tapio reaches the point and he says, okay, I'm, I'm going to go ahead now. Basically, you can't see me anymore, but you can see my tracks. So again, it's the evidence of the holy. So he's now crossing out of the other world by following the tracks. There is something beautiful about that, isn't yeah. it? Rather than show me God. Yeah. You know, I, I want to behold God exactly. right in front of me. It's more to have the curiosity, the reverence to see signs of the holy and follow those. Yeah. 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 So one, Martine will often say, you know, when you see the track of a deer, put an offering in the track. When you see the track of the tiger, put an offering in the track. That's the, that's the evidence of the holy is the magnificence. Get down on your knees and put an offering in there to say thank you for having passed by this way. That's a very different way of, of looking at it than, as I said before, we have this obsession with the tangible, but, but the holy is not tangible in the way that we understand this world. Yeah, we catch a glimpse. We see the evidence. And that's when we say, ah, the holy was here. What right. a blessing. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. So then you raise the question, did she leave because he screwed up? Well, I, you phrased it a little more eloquently, but <laughs> <laughs> it seems so, right? It seems with the logic of the story that on that third night, he didn't follow the instructions properly because he was discouraged because there wasn't much food. And then it seems there was a consequence for him not following the instructions. So it's interesting that you're bringing up the possibility that it's not quite what it seems. I think it's very, very likely it's not quite what it seems. Uh-huh. However, I'm also not saying that he didn't screw up. Clearly, he, he he did from one perspective. But there's just a lot more than just, oh, he screwed up and so he lost his beloved. If we look at, okay, there was a point where he was separated from Tapio. He's still moving towards his home. He's still moving out of the other world. And so there's a point where... The, there's the question, can he bring a goddess to his home? Mm. 
Is there a point where the goddess cannot come in her form that he sees her in? Does she need to change forms? Mm. Then also, yes, he he doesn't listen to Tapio's instructions mm. and he, quote unquote, screws up. But that's, in my understanding, a necessary mistake. So in so many, if not all, of the mythologies, there's a mistake. Somebody screws up mm -hmm. and it shifts the trajectory of the story. It's necessary because what comes after wouldn't have happened if there wasn't that mistake. Mm. Yeah, this is a very interesting point because... It seems like a failure. Oh, Lipo, why'd you do it, Lipo? You know, couldn't you have just been hungry for a while? Couldn't you have just kept going? Mm -hmm. But for a myth, if there's not failure, mm -hmm. it's incomplete. Mm -hmm. And for that matter, perhaps in our lives, mm -hmm. if there's not failure, mm -hmm. it's incomplete, mm -hmm. which is quite something to consider, mm -hmm. you know? to lay down that idea that, oh, if I were just good enough, smart enough, fortunate enough, then I would just be able to go from win to win. Mm -hmm. You know, financially, personally, I'd just be able to make my way into that ideal life and then stay there. Mm -hmm. Alas, I lost money, lost community, friendship, relationship, what didn't succeed at what was my heart's desire to succeed at. Mm -hmm. And so look at me, mm -hmm. you know, I'm failed or partly failed, broken. If only I were rightly situated. But it seems in the myth that this failure too belongs. This too belongs. Yeah. Yeah, we have a very failure-phobic culture. Mm, Death-phobic. Death-phobic. Fa failure to continue yes. living. <laughs> yes. And yet, this is a very significant, as you said, point in the story where something needs to happen for Lipo. And it can only happen by the separation between him and Tlervo. Mm. So what is that thing? Mm. What still needs to happen for Lipo? Yeah, don't know. So what happens to him? He loses Tlervo. Mm -hmm. Then what, what state does he go into? He goes in... As I see it, he goes into this kind of holding pattern, the stasis, you know, that he's, he's getting older. He's taking care of his son. His son's growing up. Every day they have food. So they're not in want. There's no real 
impetus to go out and do anything. And he just gets older, you know? So it seems like from the story. Yeah. You know, at this point, he he says that, oh, my home is still really far away. Right. Right? Uh-huh. My home is so far away. I can't get there. Yeah. Because I don't have a bow and arrow. What if there's no food along the way? He's basically really disheartened. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's that, that Lipo that we met in the beginning of the story mm-hmm. who said, he kicked one ski against the other and said in fun, today we must get a moose for each ski and one for the ski staff. Mm-hmm. That Lipo, yeah. that young Lipo. He's gone. He's gone. Yeah. Had to go. And he had to he go. He had to go. And he had to be there. It's a beautiful place that he's in at the beginning. It's this exuberant naivete of like, mm. let's just go for it. Yeah. We're just going to jump right in. I am going to follow this sacred moose into who knows where yeah. and what a world he <laughs> discovers. And who of us <laughs> hasn't at one point been enamored by a sacred moose and gone off on some exactly reckless adventure? Exactly. Without thinking it through, thinking yeah. through one's own capacity or any of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And he comes to this place where he's all of a sudden frozen. He's immovable. I read this as he is absolutely overcome with grief mm. because he's lost his beloved. You know, the story doesn't elaborate on it extensively, but to Lervo, he's married the goddess of the forest. What an ecstatic, magnificent place to be. And they've given birth to a child. And all of a sudden like that, he loses her or he thinks he loses her. And he's catapulted into profound grief that stops him in his tracks. And perhaps over those years, it's not a full stasis, but there's some deepening, some process going on, which again might not be expanded in the story. He's raising his child. And so, you know, if we look at their child as what was birthed from the union of the holy and the human? What was birthed from that? And in the story, we understand what is birthed is another being. In our lives, or if we are going through initiatory journey or soul journey, there is a union with the holy that happens in the other world. We, something is birthed from that. Mm. Something is created, whether it is art, whether it's a nature school, whether it's, you know, a podcast or whatever, something is birthed from that union and it must be matured. So the whole story starts with this praise and excitement and exuberance of the world. And he enters into the other world with that exuberance. And then as he leaves the other world, and loses his beloved, there's profound grief, Mm. which of course there is. When you touch the holy, and then you're not touching the holy, that transition, that change 
is devastating. Mm. I love this because, again, in you know modern culture, kind of a youth-obsessed culture, there's a lot of coming-of-age stories, mm-hmm. you know, and it or people getting married, romance stories, people, and then it sort of lives happily ever after. Mm-hmm. The person came of age, and then they sort of live their life. But there's other stages of life. There's other initiations. There's other comings of age. And here we're seeing Lipo, who's now well past that exuberant, adventurous Mm -hmm. stage in his youth. Mm -hmm. And that this is part of his longer journey. It's the kind of thing that we don't hear enough about Mm -hmm. in stories because we're so youth oriented, Mm -hmm. you know, as a culture. Yeah. I mean, the culture wants to stay in that exuberance. Constant exuberance. Yeah, and anything other than that is considered like something went wrong. Yeah, yeah. And when we read the story, oh, something went wrong. Mm -hmm. He didn't do it right. Didn't do it right. Didn't listen. So here he is, and it's this time of he's in his his deep grief, and he's basically, he's now in the in-between worlds. So he's not fully home. He's Mm -hmm. not fully in the other world. So he's in that liminal space, which we could also call the Veld, which is also the place where, traditionally speaking, all offerings were taken to the holy. So it's, you know, on a day-to-day basis, it's like you don't wander into the sacred territories. You go to the edge. Mm-hmm. You bring your offerings to the edge and leave your offerings for the holy at the edge, at the veld, that in-between place. Mm-hmm. So here they are, the in-between place. He's in his grief, but he's also completely taken care of. Mm-hmm. So each day... His beloved, or Tapio Tulevo, we don't actually know who, is providing for him and his son. So there's still a union. She's still there. But it's shifted, and that shift brings the grief. So then the question is, how is Lipo going to get home? Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful that he's dependent at that stage as well. In his youth he could do it for himself, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, But in his older age, it's a humbling dependence. And there's something, again, like very not, there's not many stories in modern culture about that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. which is part of why I find it so beautiful. It's like, oh yeah, this, Mm -hmm. it's not that he has become lesser by that, Mm -hmm. that it's it's a deepening, it's a maturing, and the failure and the grief are part of it. In our youth, it's like we think, oh, well, we can do it all on our own. We can do it all on our own. We're we're good. We can pull up our bootstraps and just go for it. And yet to live in a a deeper reciprocity, once you have crossed over that threshold and then come out, there's dependence or reciprocity. It's like there's then a, my life is entirely dependent on what is provided for me Mm. by the natural world right that is what we live and it always has been it always has been how gung-ho or yeah full of your bootstraps you happen to be yeah you're still fully dependent yeah (laughs) Yeah. exactly yeah but how can we bring love into that dependence Mm. so before it's like oh yeah i just get my food and i'm you know whatever now is the giving of the food, the offering of the food in both ways, but there's a love that's happened. So there's, and there's also at this point, an understanding of 
the the consequences of what is lost. Mm-hmm. So he now understands what he's lost. He also understands what he has touched and what has given him life and what is continuing to give him life. Because before he had no concept of what was giving him life. Mm-hmm. Now he has an understanding which deepens the grief. I want to say also that when he was young Mm -hmm. and more mature and naive and not understanding these things so much, he was still accepted. Yes. That was right for that time in life. Yeah. It's not like he was then a failure when he was young. We sort of reverse it or something. It's like Mm -hmm. that was that part of life and he was accepted and helped in that way. And then later in life, he's accepted and helped in that way. Because that exuberance is gorgeous. Yeah. It's so, Tolero fell in love with that exuberance. Uh-huh. He's like, look at that guy. Like, amazing. <laughs> look at how he skis. Yeah. You know? Made his way all the way here. Exactly. He's gorgeous. And she <laughs> falls in love with him. So then he's in this place of grief, but he still has to raise his son, which, as I said before, you know, if we look at our individual lives, doesn't have to be a child, whatever is created from a union with the holy. But this being needs to be matured. Right. What I just really want to highlight is that it's, not Lipo's own capacity that gets him back to his home. Hmm. It's not like all of a sudden one day Lipo's like, Woof, boy, that was a deep dive. I'm, I'm now ready to get my skis on and go home. Yeah. But his son is going out. His son is learning how to navigate. And then his son goes out and then finds his home and comes back and is like, actually, your home's only one day away. Whereas before, Lipo said, my home is so far away still. Mm-hmm. So there's a shift in space and time that's happened where through all of this, through his grief, through the maturing of what has been created, all of a sudden his home is close. And it's his son that he follows to his home. So it's not on our own that we make it back home. It's by following what has been created that we get back home. Oh, that's rich. Right? I love this decentering, this story. I mean, at the time it wasn't decentering probably, but for our culture it feels like a decentering of the will of the individual mm-hmm. and, you know, coming through in the end and mm-hmm. these kinds of things that are so often in stories, modern stories. Yeah, that his son, that which he co-created with the divine, leads him home. So that could be a person's child, Mm -hmm. could be a person's work, could be a community they help create, or Mm -hmm. any number of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it seems that that's part of, at least my perception of maturing in a real way and getting older is getting decentered more and more in the most beautiful, mm-hmm. gentle way. I get that sense anyway, mm-hmm. like glimpses of elderhood from mm-hmm. quite a distance, mm-hmm. <laughs> both in time and in awareness. Mm-hmm. So then they go, they go back. 
They go back after all these years to Lipo's village, mm -hmm. which Lipo was thinking would be a short trip. <laughs> yeah, so they make it back, and um, yeah, and it's beautiful. Tears came to Lipo's eyes at the sight of his old country after all of these years. It's beautiful, and I think these are different tears from from the deep grief that right. he's experiencing, yeah. and. Uh, Feels like it's a time of things coming together for him. Mm -hmm. These threads mm -hmm. of his life coming together. Mm -hmm. And then, and then what was created has a life of its own. Yeah, it's like he makes it back home. He follows that creation back to his home, and then it's like, oof, mm. off it goes. Yeah, and because creates something new. The boy was not content to stay there. He left his father behind and traveled north once more to make a home for himself. And to this very day, the Laplanders proudly trace their descent from this wise and restless son of Lipo, the mighty hunter. Yeah, so off he goes. And that, that feels like a really important part of elderhood as well is uh, succession, you could say, or passing on that which you learned, that which you gained, that which you built. Because, of course, you won't be around for much longer. And also that lesson that it does have a life of its own. Yeah. Beautiful. Is, it, is there anything else that you'd like to add, Stephanie, we come to the end of this story? Imagine the listeners also have quite a different perception of the story than when we started, as I did. Well, we brought up some beautiful points, and there's so much more in the story. And yeah, I'm just so grateful that these stories still exist. And that I've had the blessing of studying with Martine Prechtel and been given some capacity to listen. Thank you very much to you, Theo, for diving in with me and to everybody who's listening as well. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Stephanie. It's been beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening to Story Paths, where we finger threads weaving story with culture. Before we go, I'd like to remind you of my new course, Creative Writing, Brainstorming Story Ideas, that is now available on Skillshare. If you're looking for a playful, creative space, this may just be for you. You can find the trailer and a link for a free month of Skillshare in the show notes. And as we part, I send my best wishes for you and yours. In the words of the Irish poet John O'Donoghue, may you realize that the shape of your soul is unique, that you have a special destiny here, and behind the facade of your life, there is something beautiful and eternal happening. And so we close. <laughs>